Hi, everybody. This is Wayne Larrabee, and welcome back to the Play-By-Play podcast. This week, we welcome the Play-By-Play voice of the Detroit Lions, Dan Miller, because after all, this is the Play-By-Play podcast. We should have Play-By-Play people on it. On the show today, we'll break down the upcoming Monday night battle between the Packers and Lions, and I'll have a back page comment on Overreaction Monday coming up. Now, first place teams meet Monday night. Monday night football. You can't ask. Can you ask for anything more? First place teams. Two first place teams. in the Green Bay Packers and the Detroit Lions. How's that for a positive note starting things, huh? Don't tell me I'm not your ray of sunshine. Positive and true. You see, despite being 0-1, all four NFC North teams began the season with losses in on opening weekend. As we begin the final 16 games of the regular season campaign, everybody's tied for first. Everybody got a drink box last week. Or maybe nobody got a drink box. Look at it one of two ways. The Lions debuted 41-33, lost to San Francisco in a game that wasn't as close as that final score would indicate. Detroit trailed 31-10 early in the fourth quarter. You've heard it all week. The Packers' defense gave up 171 yards of rushing offense, 4.4 per rush to the Saints. That's not the stat that broke the game, though. In the first half, when the game was still a game, maybe that should be a book, when the game was still a game, The Saints had 140 yards rushing on 25 attempts, 5.6-yard average. What caught my attention early on in that game was on the opening drive, Jameis Winston, the quarterback, scrambling for 11 yards on first and 10 at the Saints 20. Then two plays later on second and five, he takes off for 15 yards. That ain't Drew Brees, Dorothy, and we ain't in Kansas anymore, Toto. To me, those scrambles appeared to put the Packers' defense on its heels. The Saints went on to score on all three of their first-half possessions, running 39 plays. The other factor that jumped out at me, the Packers' offense ran just seven plays in the first quarter alone to 21 snaps for the Saints' offense. In the heat and humidity that was Jacksonville that late afternoon, that sapped the energy from the Packers' defense, and when the score became 17-0, it looked like it would take a miracle for the Packers to snatch victory from the jaws of defeat. And the Packers were not Jonah on that Sunday. Oh, as for the last dance, even the 98 Bulls stumbled on their way to the dance floor that season, losing their opener 92-85 at Boston. They would go on to win the world championship. And the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, last year they lost 38-3 at home to the New Orleans Saints in November and went on to win it all. Just saying. We welcome in the play-by-play voice of the Detroit Lions, Dan Miller. Um, Dan, now in your 17th year. Forgive me, but it doesn't seem like that long ago you became the voice of the Lions. Nah, it's flown. And, and uh, there's no question. I mean, it's, you know, we're blessed to do what we do, Wayne, but it has flown by. And I, I look at 17 and think of all the things that have happened since then. And, you know, that is a long time in terms of, you know, life events and team events and things like that. But, boy, it feels like it's flown. Yeah, it does, doesn't it? It's amazing. You, you know, um, when, when you look at the Lions, you've seen a lot of change over the years and a lot of regime change. Um, tell us about this latest one. And uh, I know it's real early, but how does this differ from what you've seen in the past? Well, I, I think this, that this is a crew that when – they moved on from Bob Quinn and Matt Patricia. I think they realized that there were there there was some fracturing that had been done in the building, and 
you know, there's some division that had happened within the organization. And I think they set out trying to get everybody back on the same page and make sure everybody was pulling in the same direction. And I think they wanted to find people that could work cohesively with others and, and make the entire organization feel like they were a part of something. And they found two guys that clicked together and they have, you know, and I think bringing in Chris Spielman was a part of that as well, bringing him back into the building. So I think that, that for the most part, they are, have looked for, and this happens a lot, Wayne, you'll go from a disciplinarian to a player's coach or a player's coach to a disciplinarian. This was a disciplinarian going to more of a player's coach. And I think he and the general manager have worked well together. I, I think the entire organization has come together far more than it was in the past. Now, look, the results are what matters. And, and that's a book that's going to be written here in the future. But right here, right now, I just think there's more of a feeling that everybody's pulling in the same direction. You saw um, a part of the Patriot way. Um, Bob Quinn and uh, Matt Patricia, both New England Patriots people, that type of thing. You know, and it hasn't worked elsewhere. It really hasn't. And maybe it's working a little bit with Brian Flores down in Miami. Maybe not. Time will tell. But it doesn't really work outside of Foxborough. From your seat, from what you saw, why is that? Well, I think at its core, they didn't have enough good players is one issue. And I think there was also an issue where Matt Patricia had – issues with some of the team's better players. You know, they traded Darius Slay. There was problems with, with Marvin Jones at times where it seemed like he was unhappy if you read between the lines on some of the uh, – they traded uh, Quandre Diggs, who was, you know, one of the best players in the secondary. And it, it just seemed like there was so much cleaning out and not enough addition. And, and I think sometimes, based on what I saw, that – they were trying to come in and run a Belichick-type organization without having his track record and his cachet that gets everybody to buy in. If you're Bill Belichick and you've got all those rings, guys come and they say, look, this is the way we're going to do it. If that guy's going to get me a ring, then that's how we're going to do it. But when you try to do that off the top, you don't have any success to lean on. I think it becomes problematic because players then, I think, kick back a little bit. And I think that there was some, you know, certainly unhappiness within the team. There's no doubt about that. And I think that it just really, when there was no success to go with the complete about face in the way things were handled from Jim Caldwell to Matt Patricia, that became a problem. It just... They weren't seeing the payoff. They, they, they were seeing the work, uh, the way that they were being treated, but they weren't seeing necessarily the, the, the wins and losses that went with it. And I just think it, 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 it fractured things, to use that term again, within the building. And I think that if you listen to the verbiage that, that Sheila Ford-Hamp used and that Brad Holmes used and that Dan Campbell used when they came in, it was all about unity and bringing people back together because I think they realized that that had happened over the previous three years. So I think to sum it up, Wayne, what I would say is this. Bill Belichick is unique. His success is unquestioned. But you don't walk into a building as a disciple of his with the same cachet, and it becomes very difficult to conduct yourself in the way that he does if you don't have that. 
Dan, that's the best explanation of why the Patriots' way doesn't work outside of Foxborough that I've ever heard. I mean that sincerely. Dan Miller, by the way, the play-by-play voice of the Lions, our guest on the play-by-play podcast. I think you hit it right on the head. Um, There's a reason why, if you go back in history, way back in history to Lombardi, and why none of his assistants went on to become great coaches elsewhere in football, uh, there's a reason for that when you think about it. And, And the uniqueness of Belichick, the uniqueness of Lombardi, if it's not one of those two, they will not follow. And, and that's kind of what you were saying. And, and I just think you summed it up really well. A, a great insight. Well, I, I appreciate that. And, and it's like, look, I watched it. I lived it. And yeah. I saw, you know, and talking to players. And look, I got along great with Matt Patricia. I enjoyed talking with him. But it didn't work here. And it hasn't worked in other places. And, and you know, you've heard some of the same issues that happened in other places. But, look, there is a charisma that comes with, a Belichick. And, and I think, you know, it's a different kind and, and a charisma that comes with Lombardi. And look, I, I worked in Washington. I worked on their radio broadcast way back when and, and used to talk to Sonny Jurgensen and Sam Huff about Lombardi. And Jurgensen, who's known as kind of a free spirit, have a good time guy, the reverence he had for his one year of playing for Vince Lombardi, I used to just sit and love to hear him tell the stories. Yeah. I, and I... It, it was amazing just how Lombardi came in and took that team, and they honestly believed that, that if he hadn't tragically died after that first season, they were headed for some of the success that Green Bay had. He had that kind of belief. Yeah, you know, I've done the same thing with Sonny when, uh, over the years, talked to him a little bit about that, and, and he would say, he says, you know, there was this one little play uh, to the tight end uh, that never worked. Lombardi wanted that play to be run. And it worked. You know what I mean? It's just kind of that. Yeah. So there's a belief that comes with playing for guys like that. Dan Campbell, in the infancy of his coaching career, what are your impressions so far? Um, look, I think he's what this franchise needed this, and, and what the players needed, somebody that they could rally around. And, you know, I know a lot of people – you know, unfortunately, on the first day he arrived, took a 90-minute press conference and pulled 30 seconds out of it and applied that as the overall way that they were going to view Dan Campbell. But that was just that's such a small part of who he is, biting kneecaps or whatever. But And I'll tell you, Wayne, that, that, that opening press conference he had, I defy anybody to go back and watch that. And, and believe me, I go on these national talk shows like I know you do, and people will giggle and laugh me about it. And I'll say, look, that was 30 seconds of 90 minutes, but I defy you to go back and watch that entire press conference and then come back and tell me that he didn't knock the ball out of the park. Yeah. He was talking to the fans. He told them what they needed to hear. He didn't tell them what they wanted to hear, which is that we're going to win here and we're going to win soon. He didn't say that. He said, I'm not promising you anything. There's a lot of work to be done here. And he and Brad Holmes have said that from day one. This is a big job because – they didn't take over an easy situation. They didn't take over a ready-to-win situation. But they came in with a plan. And that plan is that they're going to build around the core guys that are here, find out who the core guys are, and that's a big part of this season, and then go about next off season with a much more pointed to-do list and really get to moving this thing forward. But it starts with finding out what you've got, and that's a process they have to go through with a lot of these young players players that were just drafted, players that were here before they got here. And you, you really can't find out what you need until you really understand what you've got. And I think they wanted to apply their coaches' 
to these players and see what their coaches could get out of these players to truly understand what they're capable of. And I think that's what they're doing right now. So back to your original question, look, he is one of the most honest coaches I've ever been around standing at a podium. He doesn't really try to hide anything. He gives you answers to anything you ask. And I, I think the players appreciate his approach to them. And again, everything I'm saying, Wayne, I understand it's going to ultimately be judged on wins and losses. I've fallen in love with a lot of coaches and general managers and press conferences over the years. So we'll see how it ultimately works out. But right here, right now, I think he's exactly what this organization and this team needed. Dan Miller, the play-by-play voice of the Detroit Lions, is with us. Dan, on the field, biggest change, obviously. Matthew Stafford moves on uh, to Los Angeles, and I thought that was kind of neat the way that whole thing went about, at least from the outside looking in. The, you know, the Lions said, hey, Matt, we got a long rebuild here. Uh, you're on the back nine of your career, and they make a trade uh, with the Rams. Jared Goff comes over from the Rams at quarterback. Um, Jamal Williams, you pick up a, one, a quality guy. Uh, you, I think you know that by now. Just a quality guy. We know him well in Green Bay. DeAndre Swift looks to me to be a, a nice running back. Uh, there's no Kenny Galladay, uh, but there's TJ Hawkinson emerging at the tight end position. Tell me a little bit about the Lions offense as you see it. Yeah, and I think we're we're finding out exactly what it is. They got a you know real tough blow leading up to the first game when they lost Taylor Decker because they really believed that that offensive line was going to be the the best unit on the team, and they were hoping that 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 offensive line fully intact would allow them to run the ball, take some pressure off of Jared Goff, something they rarely did for Matthew Stafford. But you know, on paper, it looked really good. Now, kind of knocks you back a little bit, but they did a pretty good job actually running the ball in their opener against San Francisco until the scoreboard kind of dictated that they couldn't run it anymore. Sewell did a terrific job shifting back over to left tackle, which was his position in college, uh, squared off with Nick Bosa, and I thought looked exactly like you'd want a seventh overall pick to look uh, in game number one. But, look, you you touched on it. A couple of really nice backs. Jamal's been such a breath of fresh air since he got here. He's everything that you guys know he is. Uh, and gives you everything he's got. Swift is, is a really talented player. Biggest thing for him is just going to be availability, which he didn't play during the preseason, and he missed quite a bit of the preseason practices because of an injury. So keeping him healthy is going to be key. I think that Hawkinson is clearly developing into one of the better tight ends in this league if he's not already there. And then receivers the question. And, and Goff is the question, and we're all finding that out. And look, the, the rocket fuel for this rebuild would be if Jared Goff shows that he can be the quarterback. Mm-hmm. That's, that's really the best thing that can happen to this organization because then those four number one picks you have over the next two years can be used to fill other holes. If you figure out Goff's not the guy and he is the guy that struggled the last couple of years in L.A. and you've got to use a lot of that capital to go get a quarterback, sets you back a little bit. So, look, I think they believe in Jared Goff. I think it's a work in progress because those receivers are a big question mark right now. Uh, so we're, we're going to find out kind of as you find out exactly what they've got. There are some things you know, but there are also some big pieces that, that are question marks that we're trying to figure out now. Matt Patricia was a defensive coordinator of tremendous note under Bill Belichick, became the head coach of the Lions, was supposed to build a monster defense. It didn't really happen. Where are they now defensively in the wake of that? Wayne, that's, that's the biggest 
of, of all the things that happened during the three years that Patricia was here, that's probably the one that, you know, if you were going to write something about or try to figure out and, you know, get Matt Patricia to sit down and talk about, I, I, that's what I would love to know. And for, for two and a half of the three years he was here, that defense was awful and, and historically awful if you look at the numbers. And I, I'm not saying anything that, that wasn't right there for everybody to see. Um, it's, it's a different, more aggressive defense this year. That was not the opening they were looking for against San Francisco. Uh, I think there's parts of their defense that are better than that. I think their front is better than that. I think it's going to really be incumbent upon them to show that. But I think, too, there are real question marks there, in particular in the secondary. Now, Jeff Okuda, this is a big year for him. He struggled as a rookie. He's the number three overall pick. This was supposed to be the bounce-back season where he kind of comes in there and and defines himself one way or the other, where he knows where he's going, and more importantly, probably, the organization says, yep, we've got an answer there at that cornerback spot, or no, he's just not our guy. Now going down with an Achilles, you're not going to get that answer this year, and his future becomes much cloudier because that's a really difficult injury to come back from. So um, I'm not sure what this defense is. It's it's one of the things that, that I'm excited to see because in reality, it can't be worse than it was last year because it was just brutal last year. But in that opening game, it wasn't good. And I know they feel like a lot of the mistakes were self-inflicted. They feel like a lot of it they can clean up. That always gives the team, you know, a little bit of confidence when they say, we we did this to ourselves as much as they did this to us. But it's also something that you have to prove on the field by improving your performance. So uh, I'm, I'm excited to see where it can go. I think that front, can be good uh, if everybody's healthy, but they got to show it out there. And that that's one of the things that we'll see. And, you know, you can't ask for a more significant test than they're going to get on Monday night with Aaron Rodgers. Yeah. You know, I just could in wrapping it up, Dan, um, what do you see for Monday night? Uh, you know, what are the lions? The lions have given, I don't care what caliber of team the lions put on the field. Usually they give the Packers all they can handle. What do you see coming up Monday night? You know, I, I, I'm anticipating that we're going to see a really angry quarterback in a Green Bay uniform who wants to go out there and, and you know, do much better than he did in game one. And, and uh, that's, that's not usually a good recipe for the opposition. But uh, they have to find some way with that front, with Flowers, with Okwara, with Brockers, with Aline McNeil, with everybody that's up there to, to pressure him and to not give him all day back there. And... You know, he's going to make you pay at some point or another. I think the question mark is going to be a secondary, which is now depleted by injuries, trying to deal with Rodgers, trying to deal with Devontae Adams, and then stop the running game as well, where Aaron Jones has burned them before. So the first thing I'm looking at is is, is the Lions' defense and, and how they can handle, you know, really three of the best players in the league in Jones, Adams, and Rodgers. And then defensively, when Green Bay's on the field and the Lions' offense is out there again, I'm still trying to figure out what this is. I'm still trying to figure out how good these guys can be. I want to see if they can carry over the early success they had in the running game against San Francisco to this one. That would help a lot. And then from there, uh, just see what they can do in the passing game. They really, until the final couple minutes, got nothing going down the field to receivers. I know that's going to be a big emphasis this week in practice. They've got to find some way to get those guys open and try to find some chunk plays down the field that we're missing. So, Look, what I see, Wayne, uh, are some established guys on the Green Bay side who know who they are and what they can do, and some guys with a lot of questions to answer on the Detroit side. 
And this is going to help us get more of those answers coming up on Monday night. Dan Miller, thank you so much for taking time out. Uh, best of luck on your season. And, you know, it'll be great to see you guys. Uh, it's great to see you teams, uh, broadcast teams traveling again. It'll be great to see you Monday night. Thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. We look forward to being back there. This is always one of the better trips of the year. And, and to see fans in these buildings, see fans in Lambeau, it's always special. So we're looking forward to it, Wayne. Thank you. Have a great one, Dan. Safe travels. Appreciate it. And now the back page. There is an occurrence that happens every year. You can count on it just as much as you can count on the sun rising in the east and setting in the west. It happens every year on the day after the first Sunday of the NFL regular season. It's called Overreaction Monday. Should be a national holiday. When your team wins opening day, you allow yourself visions of grandeur. This could be our year. A blessed season is upon us. This is a special team, trust me. When your team loses, especially the way the Packers do the Saints, the things I heard and read, the Packers are overrated. This defense is still broke. Boy, that hire of Joe Barry was the worst thing that ever happened to the Packers. Of a tumultuous offseason Aaron Rodgers is not all in, and he played like it. And the most asinine declaration I heard in the abyss that is talk radio, deep down inside, general manager Brian Gutekunst, he's secretly happy that after week one, Rodgers is the lowest-rated starting quarterback in the NFL. The Saints? (laughs) They're marching all the way to the Super Bowl. You know, actually, Drew Brees who's going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer and leads the entire universe in career passing yards and touchdowns. He was holding them back. Jameis Winston will be the MVP of the league, and he does things the future Hall of Famer Breeze could never even think of doing, including throwing interceptions. But that's besides the point. It's overreaction Monday. In the Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook world we live in today, where mere perception is reality, everything, everyone is an expert. And I mean everyone. All of this fuels overreaction Monday like never before. You know, the National Football League season is just 16 games, now 17 games. Not 82 or 162 games. 17 games. So, if you lose one game, It's the equivalent of a Major League Baseball team losing nine and a half consecutive games, if my math is right. Still think we're overreacting to the Packers' loss to the Saints in Jacksonville? When you look at it in that context, are we really overreacting? In baseball, if you lose one day, there's a game coming up the next night. In the NBA, you lose on a Tuesday night, you probably play, I don't know, Thursday, maybe Friday, and again on Saturday or Sunday. In the NFL, you lose one game and you sit on it for six more days before you play again on the seventh day. In baseball, you lose 10 nothing, you flush it and play again the next night. In most sports, you sleep on a loss for 24 hours. In football, you gnash your teeth, you guess and second guess, you adjust and readjust the X's and O's, you ride the Jimmies and Joes for 8,640 minutes. And that's just inside the facility. Players and coaches know this. 
If you're lucky enough to play in a market that actually cares for its football team, like New York, Dallas, Philly, Denver, Chicago, or Green Bay, for six days, 144 hours, you will be lit up like a Christmas tree on talk radio. If you are not listening, you can read all about it on the Internet. If someone recognizes you at the grocery store or the gas station, you will hear about Sunday. Because they care, and they are agonizing over that setback almost as much as you are. They will not let you move on until they have their say. For months, General Manager Brian Gutekunst put together his team. He mortgaged the future to get under the cap and keep together a core of a club that won 28 games and made two trips to the NFC title game. When their quarterback Aaron Rodgers came back from a tumultuous offseason at the outset of training camp, the paper, the Packers on paper were deemed to be one of the top teams of the league. A week ago, I confidently told you the Packers have a very good team on paper, good enough to win it all. But the game is not played on paper. Once you snap the ball on the opening weekend of the NFL, you do one of three things with paper. You smoke it, burn it, or shred it. Games are not won on paper. They're contested on a field. Chemistry is not done on paper. It comes together between people, usually in the locker room. Teams change even when most of the key players who won 28 games over the past two seasons are back. Even Tampa Bay, the world champs, they brought everyone back. And you can bet they're trying to find themselves even after their close call win against a mediocre, albeit overrated, Dallas Cowboys team. What worked for the Packers and Bucks last year won't this year. Every team, whether they won or lost on opening weekend, is in the infancy of putting together a process by which they, as a team, can be successful this year. The hardest thing we, as laymen, have trouble with is this. When a team gets to the doorstep of the Super Bowl, just short of the summit of the mountain one year, it doesn't get to start at that point the next. That's why they're so devastated when they lose. They know they have to go back to the bottom of the mountain and start the climb all over again. And oh, by the way, the climb is not the same. The trail is not the same. The path you took last year is not open this season. You must find another way. There's a process to every season in team sports, and that process varies from year to year regardless if you have a new cast or almost everyone back in the fold. I talked with Brian Gutekunst on Sunday morning in Jacksonville before the debacle. He mentioned something that made all the sense in the world. Because of the way teams train, the way they have to train this year, you can't train physically in training camp the way you used to. The first month of the season is about surviving, especially from an injury standpoint. Get to the fifth week of the season. Let's say you're just two and two. You just tread water. You get to the fifth week of the season with your core performers healthy, not an easy task in any way, but if you get there with your core healthy, you are right where you need to be to make a run. In the next two weeks, we'll find out about the Packers. Talk Radio says they should blow out the Lions Monday night if they're as good as advertised. If they don't blow out the Lions, if they don't win by 10, 20 points, well, then we've got problems. But the Packers are a team with a new defense, played by many familiar faces, but a new scheme, a new coordinator on that side of the football. They have two new offensive linemen and two others playing different positions up front. They may not shake off last Sunday in one week or two weeks. It may take more time. In the next two weeks, they will be still finding their way, whether they blow up the Lions and knock off the Niners or not. 
So the Packers sit on 38 to 3. In this case, for seven days, that's 168 hours, 10,080 minutes, 604,800 seconds until they get a chance to play again Monday night in the home opener against the Detroit Lions. Lombardi said, it's not whether you get knocked down, it's whether you get up. Larry McCarron always says, redemption is a great motivator. For the Packers, Monday night represents a chance at redemption. And for this squad, redemption can't come soon enough. That'll do it for this week's play-by-play podcast. Special thanks to our producer, Nick Van Wagenen, our guest, the radio voice of the Detroit Lions, Dan Miller. Remember, we'll be with you each week during this NFL season with the play-by-play podcast. The Packers and Lions on the Packers Radio Network from historic Lambeau Field in Green Bay Monday night. Network coverage begins at 5 p.m. If you're listening on WTMJ Radio in Milwaukee, the opening drive gets started at 4 p.m. This is Wayne Larrabee, and for all of us on the play-by-play, have a great week, everyone.